0: What's up guys, coming back with another quarantine content episode, I hope you guys have been enjoying the series we've been doing so far, so of course, hopefully some of you were able to tune into the Raptors Epic Playoff Run, which we um, released over the course of I think 4 or 5 weeks, and so today we're going to bring you a kind of unique episode, this is going to be one of our specials that uh, we loved to do so much last year, and this one's going to be a 3 part mini-series on NBA injuries. For this first episode, we're going to be looking at some famous injuries that have happened in the past couple of years and looking at the uh, musculoskeletal and medical science behind them. So, uh, how exactly they impact players and it'll it'll be like a quite a range of different injuries but mainly we'll be focusing on like long-term injuries not minor you know uh, scrapes and bruises but you know those impactful injuries that uh, we hope that all players in the league don't have to suffer such as your ACL tears your broken bones that kind of thing. Our second episode will be about how to prevent those types of injuries so there we'll talk about um the much loved and revered load management one of my favorite aspects of the modern nba Um, and you know the different kind of exercise that players do in order to avoid injuries nowadays and going on to our third and final episode that'll be like a recovery episode so we'll look at how the road to recovery uh different nba players so how they come back and if they're able to say reach the same heights that they were able to uh, pre-injury and to look at how really devastating some of these injuries can be on the athleticism of uh, some of the NBA's top, top players. So um, without further ado, I'll go straight into it. Firstly, I'm gonna provide you with a statistical background about what some of the most common types of injuries were and how frequently players got injured, for example. And this comes from a fantastic study Um, by Dracos et al Um, doesn't matter who it's by really it was in 2010 and this looked at the league and injuries in the league across a 17 year span from the 1989 to the 2005 season firstly they found that the rate of injury was 19.1 per 1000 athlete exposures now what does that actually mean in uh, normal speak so Say if we have 24 players uh, on the court in, uh, uh, during a match, meaning uh, you're going to have 5 players on each team on the court and 7 players on the bench for each team, uh, which means 24 in total. So across a two game span, one of those players is likely to uh, suffer from an injury, that's what that statistic means. So. Uh, This shows, again, injuries aren't uncommon, which is not that unsurprising, and in our episodes, we're going to be focusing on some slightly more serious injuries, because of course, a lot of the injuries that NBA players suffer are uh, rather uh, minor ones, which cause them to miss maybe one, two, three games. So, some of the most frequent injuries that were found in the study are lateral ankle sprains. Um, which Steph Curry, of course, has been struggling with throughout most of his career. It's something we'll discuss later. Um, these made up 13.2% of injuries suffered. Then we have patellofemoral inflammation. What does this mean? This basically means inflammation in the knee area. This happened in 12% of players. Lumbar strains happen in 8% of players. So your lumbar region is basically your lower back. So that might surprise some of you, but... Um, Basically, 8% of injuries that happen in the NBA are um, lower back injuries. And um, that's something that's probably not as commonly reported, back injuries. So again, that might surprise some of you. And lastly, um, 3.3% of injuries were hamstring injuries. Again, to put all of these injuries into perspective, 72% of games that were missed were due to injuries of the lower extremity. So again, what do we mean by the lower extremity? So um, your ankle, your knee, um, again, potentially your uh, lower back, your foot. And again, this is unsurprising due, due to you know, the movements that NBA players have to do. It's a lot of explosive movements in your lower body. Um, you know When it comes to shooting, dribbling, running up and down the court, uh, vertical leaping, so it's again not surprising that that's the area that suffers the most stress and strain. Um, some other areas, again, you've got your uh, upper extremity, um, which led to uh, 15% of games being missed. Uh, the torso as well uh, is 12% of the time. The head, interestingly, um, led to 7.5% of games being missed. So. For example, this might be a cut to the eye, a fractured orbital bone, you know, like a fractured nose. So, again, not a completely infrequent injury suffered by players. And before I bore you guys too much with statistics, uh, two other interesting statistics i found in this paper were that 50% of injuries actually happen outside of games. So when we talk about, you know, um, players sitting matches in order to avoid injury, perhaps... Another thing I imagine that teams do think about is to, uh, for example, limit the amount of practice that they have during the season, or ensure that any practice that does happen uh, in between games is uh, as non-contact as possible in order to minimise these injuries. The last very interesting fact that the study found was that there was no correlation in injury rate when it comes to age, height weight and years of MBA experience again why is this uh, so revealing well it's talked about frequently in the NBA that you know for example uh, six foot ten seven foot guys uh, suffer injuries more frequently than smaller guys this is like a very common narrative All that um, guys who are heavier who are more muscular uh, again suffer injuries way more frequently indeed, it's even part of the narrative currently of NBA execs and teams and fans to say that Zion Williamson actually should lose some weight in order to uh, increase the longevity of his career. And so it's interesting to see that this study didn't actually find a correlation with any of those factors. Does that mean that you know height and weight don't have an impact on the uh, stress that's put upon an athlete's body? Probably not probably does increase the amount of wear and tear on their body but as we all know uh, correlation doesn't equal causation but again uh, this correlation uh, should probably sow some seeds of doubt into the minds of NBA media about uh, how these factors such as uh, height and weight actually impact injury profile of players. One last point before I introduce my special guest is to say uh, that also a part of this narrative is talking about how soft the NBA has become today. And this study had found actually that the frequency of injuries. Um, just to be clear as well, this study actually ended in 2005, so it doesn't have the sample size of say the last 15 years of the NBA. But it did actually find that the rate of injury increase from you know the 80s to the 2000s actually increased and not just that it also looked at other studies uh, which were taken during the 70s and 80s and again it's found that generally that there has been an increase in the rate of injury and so when we talk about the supposed increased physicality of the uh, late 80s uh, throughout the 90s decade although this might again be factually true and if you look at the tape for example In the post, it was certainly extremely physical. Again, maybe this didn't actually lead to a higher rate of injury. And I think the main hypothesis for this is is that um, there's still a high degree of contact in today's NBA. Maybe not in the last five years, but at least during the early 2010s, this was definitely true. And you also have players who are quicker and uh, stronger and uh, heavier in terms of muscle mass nowadays. And so that's putting a lot more strain on their bodies. Whereas if you look at, say, players of the 60s and 70s, uh, for example, like a lot of these guys will basically stick insects on the court. Um, Again, if you're not having to uh, lug about all that muscle mass, it's it's definitely going to be easier on your body. Without further ado, I'm going to introduce my special guest. So the guest of honour for tonight is going to be my brother. And I'm just going to let him introduce himself. Ah, very flattering, guest of honour, I'll take it. Uh, Hi, I'm Mehmet. I'm unfortunately related to Varoua, I am his brother, Um, and I've been asked to come in today to speak to you more about the medical side of things, uh, given that I'm a medical student at Imperial College London. That doesn't mean all that much, because I barely passed my first few years of exams, but I do have a big interest in sports medicine, so I feel like I can give an insight on some of these issues. And so, Mehmet. How much have you been following NBA basketball? I know you used to be quite a big fan. Are you still keeping up to date? Well, I'm just such an all-rounded sports fan. Um, Basketball took my interest back in the Oklahoma and Miami Heat final days. I don't know if anyone remembers that. Um, I was an avid supporter of Oklahoma. So what do you mean by avid supporter, man? Well, the first basketball I ever bought was actually a KD official so, I mean, it had his number and the Oklahoma logo on it. So, I mean, pretty much as big a fan as he could get. That's very good. I think we've heard enough from you. Let's dive into the episode. So, the first series of injuries we're actually going to look at is the ACL injury, with Classic. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a classic. I mean, the one that we're going to look at more in depth is Derek Rose's uh, ACL injury. And, of course, this happened during the 2012 playoffs in meaningless garbage time against the Oklahoma City Thunder. So there's one minute, 12 seconds left on the clock, believe it or not, Mehmet. They were up by 12 points, and Tom Thibodeau, the master of load management, decides to keep Derek Rose in the game because, quoting his words, he he saw the tides of the game changing. Uh, interesting from Tom Thibodeau. He even uh, went on to call the media backwards for not agreeing with him, which is... Uh, rather strange, and we'll go on to Tom Thibodeau in future episodes, but when it comes to this ACL injury, man, can you give us a scientific breakdown of the injury and the kind of impact that it has on players? I mean, everything around the whole Derek Rose injury is just so unfortunate, and just how everything's played out, to be honest. Um, but that is what an ACL injury essentially does to a player. If we look at some other notable players who had a similar injury, so Klay Thompson... Kristaps uh, Porzingis back in 2018, which was massive as well, because he was destined to be the New York, the new New York uh, franchise player, which the team was meant to centre around. The Jabari Parker incident, and he's actually gone on to uh, tear his ligament twice uh, since that, um, and Dinwiddie as well. But since his return after his ACL injury. He's actually had a lot of success, even winning the uh, skills challenge in the NBA All-Stars contest. Looking more closely at the ACL injury, though, if we, so the ACL is essentially the ligament at the front of the knee, where the kneecap is, um, and there are actually four ligaments in the knee, so you have, if we were to use the analogy of a clock face, you would have one at 12 o'clock, which is at the front of the knee, which is the ACL, which we're looking at here, there's one on the inside called the MCL, the one at the back, the PCL, and the one on the outside called the LCL. In 50% of cases where players tear their ACL, other structures around the knee also get injured, and that's the big problem with it being such a long-term injury. Mm. Um Derek's case specifically was due to him landing and suddenly stopping in an awkward way. Um, And if you actually watch the video back on the injury happening, it doesn't look out of place. It's such a typical explosive move for Derek that you would think nothing of it until you see him collapse and you see the sheer pain on his face. The other ways in which an ACL tear can actually happen is if you suddenly change direction or you have someone directly hit your knee when it's completely planted and straightened out. One really big thing to actually note, based on what you said earlier is, is that these kinds of injuries are freak incidents, and it's nothing to do with wear and tear. So going back to what you said about Derek being forced to play during garbage time, this wouldn't really have much impact. The only impact this has is that playing those longer minutes... I guess means that there is a greater chance of a freak accident happening. But it's nothing to do with the idea that he was tired or he you know he's been he he would have been putting a lot of stress on it. Right. These things just happen and they are just down to bad luck. One thing to note on that, however, is that you can strengthen your ligaments and that's really important and this is only something that's been innovated in the last twenty and thirty years of sport. Prior to that you didn't even see trainers training the athletes to strengthen these ligaments. Okay. Um, and the reason that's so important is by strengthening it, if this freak situation does happen where your ligament is on the verge of tearing, the stronger it is, the less chance there is of it happening. Okay. And but there's who, never a guarantee. Yeah. So, uh, Sorry to interrupt there, but who actually pioneered this, um, let's call it... Uh, ligament strengthening was there a particular individual who played a role in that so I think it came around the time when the teams also started looking at strength conditioning as well and I'm sure some of the viewers would have watched the recent Chicago Bulls documentary called The Last Dance and you see in that Michael Jordan mentioned the um, the athletic trainers coming in and actually starting strength conditioning with them for the first time and it would have happened around that time. One notable example that comes into my mind, which is slightly different to what some of the viewers will be looking for here, but Cristiano Ronaldo in football, or soccer as Americans might call it, Um, back in the day his teammates would uh, give stories about how he was the only player in the entire Manchester United football team, bear in mind one of the biggest teams in the world, who would day in day out strengthen those ligaments um, and everyone else thought he was crazy but that's why he's at his age now which is I, believe, I think 35, he's 35 yeah in his battles. mid-30s most people yeah. would be looking to finish their career but he's only getting stronger yeah we we'll talk about strengthening and injury avoidance in future episodes however um, can we talk about what kind of immediate impact that this has on players well so initially when the injury first happened biggest symptom or the biggest thing that makes you realize that has happened is you have this pop sensation. And it just simply feels like your knees come out of place. Um, and the outcome of the injury in both the short term and long term is that you get a lot of pain around the knee. That's the biggest thing that initially happens. And you'll see a lot of players screaming and clutching at their knee uh, because of that sheer pain. Um, the, the other thing which happens, especially in the long term as well, is that you have a lower range of movement. And what I mean by that is one big movement that gets affected is when you flex your knee, uh, sorry, you flex your leg at the knee into your bum. And that movement itself is, uh, is definitely restricted and a lot of plays will never, ever be the same as they were. On that note, actually, just to go back, I think I forgot to mention that the role of the ligament is to is to attach bone to bone. That's what a ligament does in general. And so, in the case of the ACL, it attaches your thigh bone, otherwise known as the femur, to the uh, shin bone, otherwise known as the uh, tibia. Now, the reason that's important is is that the once the ACL gets torn, you have a lot of looseness around the joint, and so it means there's a higher chance of those bones sliding over each other and having the sensation that the knee is out of place. And just as an analogy, so that people can somewhat picture what that means, is imagine you have a cup in your hand and you place a ball inside of it. I'm imagining Please do. This is going to get really exciting. And then you start swirling that cup around. In a stable, uninjured player, this is completely walled off. So there's no chance of the ball escaping that cup. If we then suddenly introduce an ACL ligament tear, mm-hmm. this, you can almost imagine a hole being formed in one of in the walls of the cup. Yeah. So whenever you swirl it around the future, that ball's going to pop out. Mm. So that's a similar analogy here. Right. And if we look at recovery, that means placing quite a weaker barrier. So not the same barrier that the cup has. Something slightly weaker so that if you swirl it and there's enough pressure on it, it will still pop out. Does that make sense? And on that beautifully poetic note... You're welcome. We'll move on to the next injury for this episode, which is going to be Kevin Durant's Achilles injury. Mm, Yeah, what a coincidence that we're mentioning KD again, but yeah, this injury was a lot more memorable and obviously a lot more recent, happening in Game 5 of last year's NBA Finals. Now... Looking at the Achilles tendon specifically, let's talk about what a tendon is. It, the role of a tendon is to connect muscle to bone. So, in the Achilles tendon specifically, that's the connection of the calf muscle to the heel bone. If we look at some other notable players who had a Achilles tendon, tear, let's look back at Kobe towards the end of his career, DeMarcus Cousins. Also, I might I quickly have to mention R. I. P. Kobe, the Black Mamba. Absolute go. Also, R.A.P. to the Marcus Cousins contract situation, going from what could have been $40 million to $2 million, but that's another topic. We'll move on. Other players include Brandon Jennings and Wesley Matthews as well. And some of these guys, you know, they had very promising careers, but something like an Achilles tendon rupture or tears, it, it can be career-ending in a lot of cases. We'll look at that in a second. The... The Achilles tendon is actually the strongest tendon in the entire human body and that just goes to show how much sheer force is actually needed to cause a turn in, in that tissue. The role of the Achilles in the human body is to stretch out so you can flex and extend your foot at the ankle, which in other words means just moving it up and down. It also absorbs a lot of force when you're landing from a jump. Um, and also provides a lot of power when you're pushing off for running or jumping. So obviously in the case of a basketballer or just any athlete in general, these movements are so crucial. Um, and much like the knee ligament tears, this is a freak injury and that has to be noted. And it is purely down to bad luck when it happens in a young athlete. And it usually happens when a player is pushing off their heel, uh, which is what happened in the KD and the Kobe Bryant situation, and a lot of players feel and also hear a pop sensation, like the ligament tear as well. So some players have almost described it as being, like being uh, shot in the back of the foot or the car. So, like I mentioned, because it has such importance in the uh, movement of a player the athletic ability of a play player gets greatly impaired after you tear the Achilles. Um, and the effect that this has on the player is determined by other factors, in my opinion. So it's determined by their toolbox of skills other than their athletic ability and whether they have more to them than just their athletic prowess. So if we look at KD's example, he has more value to any team than just his vertical lead goes without a saying. His shooting, his defensive ability. And that's obviously why the Nets were so willing to dish $164 million in their contract to sign him up. Another excellent in-depth analysis there from Mehmet. At this point, I might be relegated to the co-host with Kamel. Let's hope Kamel doesn't listen to Mehmet's segments. I'm coming for you. I'm taking that snake influence from Kevin Durant. Anyway, yeah, that's that's good chat. Right, so we'll move on to Joel Embiid and his navicular fracture. This is kind of like an interesting one just to round things off. It's not a very common injury. And just to give this one some context, obviously this is all part of Philadelphia's trust the process. So Joel actually sat out practically like two years while he was nursing this injury. Mm-hmm. And while he was actually nursing this injury, Philly was still drafting high... Um, draft picks so they were just accumulating players 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 and you know what it, it kind of has worked out for them in the end potentially last year they could have actually gone to win the title after obviously they lost in that very very close game seven which we've previewed in previous episodes but going into this injury we'll, we'll look at exactly why firstly this is such a rare injury and also why even till this day, Joel is having to sit out back to back games or pay limited minutes. Right. And it's been basically for four years since he first injured exactly. this phone. So uh, I'll pass it over to Mehmet. Yeah. Um, before we go on to the actual medical stuff, I just want to quickly mention just imagine a world, if, just imagine if he'd never recovered from this. Imagine a world where we didn't have Joel uh, memes or Twitter. Culture. just imagine that for a second mm, mm. how boring would everything be right anyway mm. luckily he has somehow made his way back to the medicine it? of course don't worry i'm coming for your job anyway right um so the navicular fracture a lot of people would have heard of the acr and the achilles tendon but the navicular is a lot more rare like varal mentioned just earlier um if we if we're to locate it just if people are interested it's if you find a ridge between where your shin meets the top of your foot and you go directly below that so you just go straight down into the inside part of your foot that's where the bone is it's quite thin and very small so it's so small that it's actually three inches wide and four inches long um and despite its size it takes on most of the force of the body when you plant your foot down and just to say guys um despite, of course, Mehmet's fantastic description of where to locate this foot. I just recommend if anyone actually wants to know exactly where it is, just look it up on what Google Images. You could probably find it quite easily. 2020, yeah, I'm sure you can find a picture somewhere. Yeah, it's probably something I would struggle with, uh, since uh, the internet and IT is something I struggle with. But let's move on, Mehmet, sorry for interrupting. Sure. Um, so like I was mentioning, it takes on most of the force from the body when you plant your foot down. So let's just... Roll this back to Indeed's case again. Each step he takes puts around 750 pounds of pressure on just the navicular bone, that tiny little bone. In essence, man, you're saying every step he takes and every move he makes, um, we will be watching Joel and Indeed closely. Is that, that what you're saying? That is very good. I really like that. And that's exactly why I'll probably be taking over from you one day. <laughs> um, sorry that everyone had to go through that. Um, yeah, that's just what I experience on a daily basis, but let's not dwell on that too much. So going back to that 750 pounds of pressure in every single step, and that's obviously why it's taken him nearly two years to recover. Um, these fractures are so tricky to deal with because they're really hard to actually notice and diagnose. So a lot of people don't actually feel a lot of pain initially. And x-rays don't even show anything until three to six weeks after the initial injury. So in Embiid's case, that's a lot of pressure, like we mentioned, being placed on an already fractured bone for up to six weeks uh, without doing anything to prevent it getting injured further. And that was why his injury was initially so bad. And they had to take a lot of care and make sure the recovery was the best it could be. His injury was, again, slightly more serious since the fracture actually damaged the artery supplying blood to the bone. And so in the case, in, in a medical standpoint, with less blood being supplied to the bone, this means less nutrients so less food and less oxygen reaching that bone, mm-hmm. and so a longer recovery process. And this also leads on to some of the more serious complications that this can lead to, such as the bone itself just decaying. If it, if, if it hasn't got enough of the blood entering it, enough of those uh, nutrients supplying it, the break. Uh, if the bone starts to decay, there's no going back after that. And that could lead to potential amputation, which in NB's case it hasn't done, but a lot of people do experience this, especially older people. And that's the NB case rounded up. Pressing way to round things off, apparently Joel Embiid could, or maybe could still suffer from a form of zombie foot, and um, mm. potentially might need an amputation. I mean, Embiid on one leg probably would still be a starting centre oh, in this I league. I would up, Yeah, sure. um, you know, it's, it's rather... Just for the Twitter culture, if anything. Yeah, you have mentioned how you're a big fan of that, and yeah. um, it's a lovely way to round off this episode, so this has been part one of our... NBA injury series uh, we're probably going to do like a four part episode so look for part two this may be next week, maybe in two weeks time depends mm. on uh, really um, whether I can blackmail Mehmet or um, whether I can actually be arts. right yeah exactly, I mean he's, he's putting a good shift on this so we have to give him props for that, anyway uh, thank you Mem for joining me this week oh mate it's been an absolute pleasure uh, being on the heat the world's number one podcast um i don't know what the listeners would do without it okay um, enough of that uh we're not joe rogan yet but you know we're trying them it's eh? been a year and a half time things off i've been your md <laughs> to your mc yo oh uh, god let's burn this don't let anyone hear that sorry guys but also thank you